what's up, everybody? Welcome back to our next Flix episode. Next Flix. Christopher Nolan special edition <laughs> brought to you by our cockroaches. We have a bunch of cockroaches in our house that we've been trying to get out of here. Gross. So um, it's the worst. We we're have, ready to burn down the entire place. We have ants that were kind of getting rid of very slowly but we had cockroaches growing up and they were the worst we had cockroaches oh. and rats and we got cats and it turns out cats will only eat the rats they will not touch cockroaches that re- that rhymed you kind of just like did a sonnet there or yeah, something like that i'm really worried i did some sort of ancient spell and cockroaches and rats are about to appear in my current apartment <laughs> oh i hope not we we just learned today that it's actually from a neighbor Ooh. so that makes us feel better um i mean yeah the guy came well it makes us feel better because, like, the guy came in and was like, uh, I think I found where they're coming from. So I'm going to let the office know it's not your apartment. I'm like, oh, that's so great. That's um, cool. But it's still like, well, great. Us and Reginald the cockroach is still here. So We have a, uh, we have a spot yeah. in our ceiling that leaks, and we found out it's from a hole in the floor in an upstairs apartment. And so the maintenance came out and looked at it, and they went upstairs, and they found it, and they, they messaged us, hey, we fixed the leak. And I was like, great, are you going to fix the mold damage on our wall? <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's always a fun journey to get maintenance to do what you want. So today we're talking about Christopher Nolan's second movie that starts with an I. <laughs> oh, I thought you were and about to say this is, I thought about to say this was his second movie. And I was like, oh, really? Cool. Yeah, this is his second movie ever. No, it wasn't. Um, but it's the second movie that starts with an I. And uh, we did Inception. So this is part of the I series from Christopher Nolan. We're just um, we're just going to do the movies of his that start with the vowels. Yeah. Um, I think that's actually it. Anyways, uh, I'm looking. You go ahead. Because there's prestige. Um, anyways. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We're talking about Interstellar today. And oh, yeah. It is a long conundrum of a movie, and Braden wanted to kick it off a little bit differently by telling your our ratings firsthand. Um, so if this is your first time tuning in, and who knows if it is, because our last episode got like 12 plays, so I don't know who's <laughs> listening anymore. It goes between 12 and like 500, so a bunch of robots. Yeah, so if this is your first time listening, uh, we have a five-step rating system based on how much time, money, and effort you're willing to put in to see a film. The highest tier is go see it in theaters. It's worth, you know, 30 bucks to go see it in theaters, worth putting pants on. It's worth going out to the theater, standing in line, standing in line for popcorn, standing in line to get into the theater, then having to sit with 500 other strangers to watch the film. It's worth it. And then there's... Especially uh, the pants part. Yeah, I mean, that's the hard part, but it is worth it. Okay. And then there's uh, buy it. Uh, rent it, borrow it, and skip it where it's not even worth your time. And I'd like to point out, Christopher Nolan did one other film that starts with an I, Insomnia. It has Alpha really likes. It has got, Al Pacino? Yeah. Was this like a really early film for him? 2002. Wow. Huh. We, we may have to watch it someday. Anyway, so Luke, I want to know what you think about this film. Oh, man. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> okay. Um... Man, such an honor to to tell. Um, (laughs) So, I I have okay. I'm gonna. I I gave it a borrow it. Um, So it's not high. I gave it a borrow it. I was gonna explain why, but that's not time yet. We're just giving ratings. I am. I'm. I'm kind of glad that you said that because. You've never steered me wrong before. Like every film you've suggested for me, I, I've really liked. Yeah. This was your first strikeout. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give this a skip it. A skip it? Yeah. I Interesting. Don't, I don't think this film is worth anyone's time to watch. I think it's, it is a... I'm not surprised. Actually, just I'm reading right now that it was a Spielberg, but he dropped it. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm not surprised that this this was a very uh, um, intense film. It's very complicated. It's a very big story. And you, I mean, I, here's what I'm going to say. I think the Nolan brothers, because Christopher directed and Jonathan wrote it, I think they bit off more they could chew with the story. Ooh, good. 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 I'm glad you said that. Um, I have several so I, problems with the film. <laughs> I, I watched this movie... Um, a long time ago, but when I brought it up again, 
I brought it up remembering not a ton about it, but remembering that, huh, I don't think it was that great. And that was a little bit intentional because I was legitimately just curious to see how you would react to it. Um, So I'm glad you actually said that so we don't have all of our episodes be like, this is a great movie, this is a great movie. Um, (laughs) I guess we've only really done one bad movie. Yeah, so if you want to add some fixer-uppers in here, it won't be like our other one that we did that to, but but maybe it's worth it. Um, okay, here's Interstellar is a two-hour, 40-minute sci-fi epic um, that is beautifully shot. I'm going to start off by just saying what was really good um, overall for me. I, I think the movie is brilliantly shot as far as... Um, camera work and the camera and like just the overall quality of the images to even how they did the CGI and the practical effects. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and that's something I think that Nolan, Nolan's always been good at is doing a lot of really well done visual effects. Um, especially cause like in, in the spaceships, I don't know if you knew this in the spaceship scenes, um, it wasn't green screen outside the windows. They actually set up gigantic, dome projectors or just projector screens outside and projected and um so the actors had something to act off of oh i thought you were about to tell me they actually went into space and i would have been so (laughs) pumped (laughs) yeah they actually flew to space for this no it's (laughs) they in um on set though it wasn't there's it wasn't green screened um in some of those scenes it was all like when you see outside the window it it was just something that they were uh projecting which i thought was cool um because that's kind of cool it just looks better in my opinion um, so that is pretty cool. I I do agree that there's a lot of good things about the filming, the cinematography, this, the the he did create some really interesting visual effects, like specifically yeah. with with the wormhole, the black hole, and some of the interesting planets they went to. But I almost think that his really interesting visuals mixed with the really great cinematography, I think they kind of worked against each other because there's pl- there's a few different points in this film where I, I looked and it's like, I don't know what's happening here. Everything looks weird and it's being shot in weird ways. And I, I can't keep track of it with like, I can't just track what's going on. I'm very confused. Ooh, that's interesting. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. So what, uh, let's start with some, now that I said something nice and you turned the niceness into not niceness, what's some other issues you had? <laughs> what, uh, what's some of the other issues you had? Man, um, this is kind of a, this is a weird one. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because it's just a general note. I think a lot of the acting is, I don't know if it's, I think it's good acting, but I think there's a lot of issues with dialogue and with the characters in this film. I never really got engaged with basically anyone. Hmm. And I think it's an, like, let's take Matthew McConaughey's character, Cooper, who I'll admit is the only one whose name I can actually remember. Um, yep. Cooper is this weird mixture between a, like, he's kind of a weird mixture between three stereotypes. There's like the scientist or super smart guy who for whatever reason isn't doing super smart things. Then there's the single dad having to work a hard job to provide for his kids. And then there's the uh, only one who can complete a dangerous mission. And he's kind of just crammed all of these stereotypes together and just let Matthew McConaughey add his own little flair to it. And I don't, I don't think it really worked. That is a very, very interesting way of putting that. Huh? Yeah. So I, I'm really glad you said something about dialogue first off. Yeah. I want to focus on that before we talk about characters. Um, Dialogue, so it's no secret that here at Nextflix, in my opinion, um, and and I, Brayden and I haven't talked about this, but I think we talked about enough, the story is kind of king to us. Um, yes. Is that a right assumption? Yeah, yeah. I mean, e- e- yes. Yes, it is. I don't want to say that it's the most important thing, because I personally think it's tied for most important. But yeah, it's definitely... Yeah, we had a great conversation about that on our Inside Out episode, actually. Um, I thought that was the Bird Box episode. Listen to both of them and then, t- then tweet us. <laughs> yeah, tell us which one it was. Um, okay, so go ahead. Sorry, that was a cough. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm glad you talked about dialogue, though, because something that I actually enjoyed from this movie was dialogue, but I didn't enjoy it because I thought it was good. 
Please so explain. Please explain. Yeah. <laughs> Please explain. So there's the shock value um, to get everyone's attention. No. Um, so I actually think as far as like what is being said is really like eloquent. Um, the conversations are actually very well informed. Um, and they're just very intelligible conversations, very deep conversations. However, it's not realistic. Not in, not not in the sense of sci-fi. I don't. I mean, obviously, we're talking about you know sci-fi in general. Um, so like, I I don't. I'm not saying it's unrealistic because that. I'm just unrealistic because I don't think the syntax and like the way words are put together are the ways ways that we in normal conversation would ever talk. Um, or though I've ever almost even seen. I think it's almost a mark of Nolan movies in general. It's just people talk in a certain way that that I don't think I've ever seen other movies do or, or other even just people do. Yeah. Nolan, uh, the, the Nolan brothers, when they write together, they have, they've definitely got this very interesting way of doing dialogue that very accidentally. I've also kind of been getting back into West wing a lot. And of course, Aaron Sorkin is sort of the king of dialogue. It's him and Quentin Tarantino. They're the real Kings of dialogue nowadays. And, um, but, Quentin Tarantino. That's that's. <laughs> I just Whoa, heard, that's a funny thing. He just refers to himself as a king of dialogue in some old interview, and it's the funniest thing to think about. I love that you acknowledged it, <laughs> just so it was out there. Okay, keep going. Sorry. But anyway, um, yeah, Aaron Sorkin's got a really interesting way of doing dialogue, and I think the Nolan brothers—they've got their own interesting twist on it. I mean, everyone's got their own interesting twist on it, but the Nolans has always been very, very. It is fascinating because it's not a way that people really talk, but it's almost the way that people really think. Because Ooh, that's you, interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you think the what you think often does not come out in how you say things. For example, Never. my last sentence. Um <laughs> For example, conversations with your wife. <laughs> You're not wrong. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I think that's one of the interesting things about Nolan dialogue is it manages to capture that like it captures a sort of realer version of t- of talking in that it's not how people actually talk, but it's it's how they you know like I said how they think. But this film, I think, I don't think it hit the mark very well, and I think part of the reason is too many of these characters are supposed to be scientists; they're supposed to be engineers, supposed to be physicists. It, right, the smartest of the smart. Yeah, so it seems weird for them to be talking in the exact same way that the farmers are. No diss on farmers. I, I actually am living right next to a cornfield. <laughs> I grew up with farmers. But yeah. it, it's odd for them to kind of be talking the same way. Even when they are talking about the sciencey things, they're really talking the exact same way as when they're talking about fixing the tractors. It's like there's no disconnect between um, really advanced physics subjects and, and well, whatever, you know, farming, I guess. I mean, there's no disconnect there. It's like they know it. Yeah, it's a little jarring. Yeah, and th- that's interesting. So it's like um, it's, everyone speaks their minds eloquently and perfectly, which even in your mind, how often are things eloquent and perfect? True. Um, but they seem eloquent and perfect to you when you're thinking it. You're right. That is right. And it just comes out eloquent and perfect then. <laughs> so it, in this in the dialogue. So I, I feel like that's – so that's why I said it's good because – but also bad. Does that make sense? So I think it's good because I think it's well done. Like I do think in that own right, if that's what they're going for, that that's well done. I just don't think it lended itself well to this movie. Yeah, it's like good dialogue, but in a um, in a in a story that really should not have had good dialogue. Yeah, one of the movies I even think of just is Spotlight. Did you ever see Spotlight? I haven't seen Spotlight. I need to watch that. The um, excellent movie, um, highly recommend. It won an Academy Award in 2015, I think. Um, but excellent that, that movie. That sounds right. So good, and what partly makes it so good is that the dialogue is nothing special, and that's exactly how it would be in real life. Um, the react the reactions are normal, things like that, and I feel like that was almost more needed for this kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Now, more normal interactions, almost. This film, to me, it's very reminiscent of Inception. Inception, Inception. Let me say it correctly. What is it? What is the movie again? Okay, yes. <laughs> just just go back to season one, episode seven, or whenever we talked about Inception. 
Yeah, okay. uh, I can't speak. I can't say it. Anyway, this film is very reminiscent of that, and in that film, they have this very Nolan-esque way of speaking. But it makes a lot more sense because these are people whose job it is a to get inside of other people's head, literally and figuratively. But also, they uh, are. <laughs> they've also got to be very careful about how they say things because, you know, they're con men and spies and stuff. So it makes sense that they talk in a very different way. That makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. I and agree with that. Yeah, that's. I think that's where it falls apart in this film, that it's like it doesn't make as much sense for them to talk in this way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on, let's talk about kind of just characters <coughs> in general. Because so, you kind of started to talk about that before we took a little deep detour, good good detour in dialogue, and, and how honestly a fix with this movie for a dialogue would just be don't. Um, more realistic dialogue. What are your thoughts on characters? Okay, so let's go through the characters one by one, <laughs> very briefly. <laughs> okay, all right. I, in general, I do like Matthew McConaughey. Uh, I think he does oh, a good yeah. job in this film. I, I think Matthew McConaughey is is a very good actor who I'm only really recently starting to appreciate as much as I should. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I think he's good. Again, I think his character is not as great. I'll I'll say that I don't think the characters were given as much love as they should have from the writing team. I think you really could have fleshed out all of the characters a bit more. More depth to them? More depth, more refinement, maybe just more character to them. Some of them have got very little, very little that defines them or that really draws you into their story. That's interesting. How would they do that? How do you think they would do that? Dude, if I knew how to do that, I'd be making billion dollar movies. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> I'd be the how third Nolan brother. How do you feel like they brother. didn't do that, I should say? I mentioned earlier that McConaughey's character feels like a bunch of different stereotypes. Uh, and I mm-hmm. mean, that that's kind of how you write characters. You start with a base idea. Often that's very a very stereotypical idea. Like, you know, you've seen this in a thousand movies and then you, you add on to it. You refine it. You know, it's like how... Yeah. I like to use that analogy how every culture has made some version of uh, take dough when you put some sort of meat and vegetable combination inside the dough and then you fry it. Every culture has that. Dumplings, egg rolls, empanadas, things like that. But that's what you do. You take a base idea and you you make it your own. You twist it. You change the ingredients that go inside, how you cook it, whatever. Right. I think this film kind of stopped just a little short of that final step. They took Mm. the base ingredients they put everything together. They really, they started to refine it. And then it's like, they didn't finish cooking it. I think that's interesting. The, yeah. And most of the characters have that. Not all of them. I think, um, Oh, what's the character's name? Rom. Is that his name? Romlin? Romlin? Which one? The, Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Romley. Is it Romley? Or am I saying that wrong? Um, let me get it right now. You, you keep going while I'm getting that. I think he's done pretty well. Um, he also isn't in the film too much, um, but he has done pretty well. I, th- I honestly do think Tom and Murphy are done pretty well. I like both of them. Um, I mm. kind of I like seeing them age a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it Romilly. Is, Romilly, yeah. That's a cool name right there. It is a cool name. Yeah, but hmm. I, th- I think the, the three, probably the three most problematic characters are uh, Matt McConaughey's character, Cooper, Anne Hathaway's character, uh, Brand, and Michael Caine's character, Professor Brand. Yeah, I have a lot of issues with Brand, <laughs> Professor Brand. I will say that I did like the, uh, um, you know, it's Matthew McConaughey and his daughter, and then it's the father-daughter duo of Brand. I like that storyline a lot. Yeah, I like the I like the base storyline for them, for sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't like how... Um, well, okay. I didn't like how his, actually, this is a technical thing, not really character development. Uh, Cooper's voice, it was, as a whole, the film's audio mix was really weird. Um, and I felt like I could not understand without turning up my TV to like 45, like to just crazy high, um, (laughs) almost 80 actually to hear it all. Um, and even then I was like having to turn it up and turn down different points. So I didn't like that. But that's not necessarily the actor. That's more audio issues. Yeah, McConaughey's got that weird tonal quality to his voice that is really interesting and done really well when he's allowed to really speak up. But, you know, in a lot of Nolan films, there's a lot of quiet dialogue because it makes scenes more intense. And that doesn't work for McConaughey's voice. You just can't hear him at all. 
Nope, was not good. Um, okay, <laughs> so issues. I really had some issues with Professor Brand. Um, I feel like his character as a whole just wasn't terribly. Um, I don't say realistic, but what his character ended up doing didn't feel realistic. Yeah, I was okay with what with what he did. I, to be honest, I wasn't super involved with his character, so I kind of didn't think we're super involved with any characters. To be yeah, honest with you, I, I kind of didn't care really. <laughs> I I was okay <laughs> with that. I thought it was a very interesting story. I that to me does feel realistic. I think there that would happen. There'd be some guys like, oh, I could solve this, and he's like, I can't solve it. I'm just gonna pretend I can and give people hope. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. All right, Keith, what would you say? So anything, what other issues did you have? Can be of characters or just as a whole? I think Anne Hathaway does pretty good in this film. But uh, again, I think her character, I think they brush on some interesting things with her character, but don't go deep enough in it. Like uh, how she's uh, in love with this Edwards that we never get to meet. I think that that one's weird to me because it kind of just suddenly appears as a thing of her character. And then isn't really talked about ever again. I liked it for a really interesting reason, actually. Okay. Um, this I was planning on getting this later, but it kind of opens it up now. I think what this this movie does do in my head very well is it makes me think, um, and it makes me think in particularly not just that I don't think it's the best movie, but I think it makes me think about like what would I do. In these, in this particular situation, because I think the the situation, this movie pre- um, presents a moral crossroads almost. Um, and the moral crossroads that's presented in the movie is basically um, Cooper can go home and be with his kids and just live with them and grow up with them. Um, and I think it's presented a few times. He's presented with a choice to leave his kids to go save the human race, and then he's presented with the choice to go back or save the human race. Um, and I think that, that, uh, brand her, her infatuation with this guy we never met and how hard it was for her to not go see him. Cause she hasn't seen him in 10 years and she's in love with him. Right. Um, because if they essentially went to this planet and worked out, she would never see him again. Then that was like a very difficult, crazy choice for her. And I think it just showed that same struggle that Cooper was going through. Um, so I think it was really, that was actually really interesting to me because it made, uh, Cooper's struggle even more because I, there's, she said that, um, okay, so if we go there and it doesn't work and then we have to go to the other planet, you're gonna have to choose between going to go to the other planet, use all of our fuel or go home and see your kids, um, which is basically go home to your kids or the, the future of the human race. So I thought that was really interesting to me. I, I like that kind of stuff and that moral conflict almost. Yeah, I like the moral conflict. I think my issue is that it was, I, I, I kind of, it, it seemed very suddenly sprung into the story without a lot of background to it. I think that was the issue I have where like many things in this film, I think there's, there, it just is a little undefined or unfinished where I don't think they set it up enough to then be this surprising thing that, Oh, he, she's in love with this guy. Uh, where did that come from again? We, I heard of him once in the whole film. Yeah. And then you see him dead at the end. I don't, do you even see him or you just see his spacesuit? I don't you think just even, see his spacesuit. Yeah. We don't even see it. He's not even a character. Yeah. Not even a real in the character. credits, in the credits, it says played by spacesuit. No, Does it the, really? No, be, I'm just kidding. I'd give That'd them props amazing. for that. I would give them credit for that. No, it's totally not at all. Not <laughs> Um, you touched on something there that I, I f- sparked something. You said that this film makes you think. Yeah. I, and there's a lot of films that do that. A lot of films make you think. And one way that you can make someone think is by not telling them the whole story. And it's, you know, sure. it's, yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example of a film that does that, but you know, there are films that don't, Oh, like kind of, kind of like inception. They don't really tell the whole story. They don't explain, you know, is Dom dreaming, in the end it's really left up in the air about whether or not he's in a dream or in reality yeah. um <clears throat> i think this film tried to tag into that it's like okay we're gonna leave people wondering by not telling them the entire story but i think it 
didn't tell enough. I think it took it one step too far to the point where I'm not just wondering about the story. I I'm I'm confused. Okay. I think that's my that's biggest problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It it withheld too much. Yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. Hmm. Now yeah, I yeah. I do understand. I want to say that there it's I kind of get that that's a little purposeful. There's a you know, it's kind of a theme in this film that there's a lot that these characters don't know. It's it's, it's a huge story a huge point in the story that um, they didn't know the professor was lying the whole time. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I get that that's kind of a theme in the story that there's so much we don't know. It's, it's mm-hmm. the professor's problem. He doesn't know enough about how gravity and time work to solve the problem. And it's the, you know, it's everyone else doesn't know that he's lying about it. And everyone, we don't know about the ghosts. And I guess it's a theme of the story and they're trying to play on that by not telling you the whole story. But I, like you said, I think they withheld too much. I think it was cool to see it come together. So do you think in the end they withheld too much or they withheld too much too long? I think the, I think they withheld too much too long. And then in the end they had to spend too much time explaining things. Like there's a whole two minutes where McConaughey is like explaining to the robot. Oh, it was me all along. And it's like, okay, can you just do it? You don't have to keep explaining it, but they didn't, if they had kind of dropped a little bit more throughout the film, they wouldn't have to explain it all there at the end. So here's, here's an issue I have with that scene in particular. And I know we're jumping almost to the end of that movie and yeah, we, we, can, we, we've been jumping we, around, which is fine. We haven't even talked about what happens in the film yet. Yeah. We've been talking, which is, we, well, we kind of have, we kind of have a little bit, Yeah. but I want to talk about the end. So in the end of this movie, um, Cooper falls into the black hole and then we're in the black hole and it's time in all dimensions. And, I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. No one's been in a black hole, so this is this is fine. Um, but here's what I didn't like. I didn't like that the robot, so a robot fell into the black hole right before him. And yes. then the uh, and then the robot um, it came on Cooper's calm while in the black hole because Cooper's floating in this um, this maze of of bedrooms and bookshelves, a really weird maze. And he's like, what is going on? And then and then the robot explains it all to him, even though we don't see the robot. Here's what I don't like. Um, this is actually a rule of storytelling, uh, rule being used very lightly because there are no rules. But um, a suggestion for storytelling is that it's put out by Pixar. And it was that cliches are great to get your character in trouble. But cliches to save your characters are cheating. And I felt like that's what this was. It was a cliche to save Cooper because Cooper would not have been able to figure all that out without the robot there. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I get that. I also, I read that scene a little bit differently. So Cooper, okay. Cooper mentions that this, they call it a Tesseract. The, the Tesseract he fell into some weird, the fourth dimensional cube. And it was like Avengers. This is here. This is <laughs> no a, tes- a Tesseract is a, is a, is a term in geometry. It's a four dimensional cube. Oh, well it's also from the Avengers. <laughs> they named that after the actual thing that is a Tesseract. I think the mathematical thing named it after, uh, the Avengers. Okay, if you want to believe that, you can. Go right ahead and believe <laughs> it's that, only a, It's only a 10-year-old term, so it's pretty anyway. new. <laughs> anyway, so uh, uh, Cooper says that this test wreck was built by future humans, and it was specifically to make this whole thing happen. As humans get to another planet, they're safe, they develop to a point where they're able to build this, and that the, the, like, the fifth-dimensional beings that have been helping them were actually Coop, Cooper and other future hum- humans. And I kind of thought... As he's explaining that, I thought the robot voice, I, don't, I thought that wasn't supposed to be the robot. I kind of thought that was like whatever beings have been helping Cooper have been watching him and they were just using the robot voice to kind of guide him to the correct answer. I thought the, because I read that as the robot has been dead. Like he, he is dead and this is not the robot talking to him. Luke, let's take a moment. Hey. Hi. <laughs> let's take a moment. Uh, a break from Interstellar to talk about our sponsor for today, Podcoin. 
Podcoin. Man. So I really like Podcoin. I do um, too. Because I like I like gift cards. <laughs> I like uh I like getting stuff. So Podcoin. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Podcoin is a podcast playing app. You all the all the greatest podcasts are on there, including ours, including ours. And it's it's so a, the only one that matters. Yeah, yeah, the only one there really is just ours. It's uh, it's an app that you can use to listen to podcasts, and you get to earn money while listening to podcasts. You earn these coins for her every so every like ten minutes you listen to. It's like one coin, and these coins can be traded in for gift cards to different places like Amazon. Uh, I don't think iTunes, but Amazon, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Target, or you can send it off to charities, which probably what we should be doing, but uh, I want Starbucks. That, <laughs> um, oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, so Podcoin is a great way you can listen to podcasts and get paid to do it because I'd like to be paid for everything I do in life. Man, I've said a lot of things, like a lot of, I've said a lot of things. I've said a lot of times, if I could get, figure out a way to monetize other things that I just like regularly do, why wouldn't you do it? Luke's in, like, the, Luke's in the kitchen doing dishes like, what if I could monetize this? Yeah, well, here's the thing. You can monetize listening to a podcast. I mean, that's kind of awesome. So I, I listen to podcasts while doing dishes, so really, you can monetize doing dishes through Podcoin. Yeah, it costs you nothing though. Like you're you're not like paying to get into this. It's just you're there doing it. Yeah, it's a totally free app. It's available on iTunes and Google Play, and I'm pretty sure the Windows Store, but I'm not sure for anyone who still has a Windows phone. Um, it's a totally free app. You can listen to all the podcasts on there, and if you use our promo code uh, Nextflix N X T F L I X, you get 300 bonus coins, which is a quarter of the way to a Starbucks gift card. So, almost get a cup of coffee on us. Yeah, almost, almost. All right, and back to our episode. Well, he said, because Cooper says, is that you, Tars? And then Tars is like, yeah, I am I don't know where I am. Oh, yeah, I forgot we weren't supposed to lie. Okay, yeah. Um. I forgot what. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, I mean, I don't know. And maybe this is just me reading too much into it. because We I weren't supposed to lie. Speaking of black holes, did you say we just got like a new picture of black of a black hole? Like someone actually they managed to get a really cool picture of a black hole. Yeah, they yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it though. I need to look at it. It's not super special. It's not that great. Is it a black hole? It's uh honestly, it looks like if you went super out of focus on a camera and took a picture of a candle. Hold on, I'm looking at yeah, black hole. Picture. <laughs> you have a candle. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, that's it. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's a black hole, I guess. Is it though? <laughs> well, it's not. Are we sure? Hole. It's it's the stuff around the black hole because you can't. Well, see yeah. The black hole. We did. I do feel very more educated on black holes after this movie. I feel less educated because <laughs> I feel less educated. <laughs> I think I lost science knowledge watching this film. I, I really did not enjoy this film, and I'm sorry to, to diss on Nolan because I think that could really hurt our friendship. But um, No, dude, I'm not like – I'm not a Nolan um, – I actually don't think he has a lot of good movies. Really? Because I kind of thought you, you – Oh, okay. That's an interesting sound you're making. Um, uh, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's, hi. Um unpopular opinion maybe no i really think he only has um three good movies which three because there's three batman uh interstellar dark knight and uh the prestige do you mean inception oh sorry dang it other i movie interstellar is not a good one um you don't think batman begins was a good one um i don't think it's a bad one Batman are good movies. They're not the best, but I think they're good movies overall. Ooh, I wouldn't put the last one in that category. You know, I think a lot of people crap on that one, and it's not deserved. Really? Yeah, I think it's not as good as Dark Knight, and I think that's why people are, are very down on it, because it's not as good as Dark Knight. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's still better than all the new Batman films. Yes, but I don't think that's the measure of a good movie. It's the more recent versions of the movie. No, that's fair. I, I I think The Dark Knight Rises is better than... 
I think the only of the old Batman movies it's not better than is the the original Batman with Michael Keaton. Maybe Batman Returns. Hmm. It's definitely better than Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Yes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> but I don't... I was just talking about movies as a whole, not necessarily fandom. Yeah, but I, I still think it's a good movie. I think it's good, but I'm saying the three movies I liked. That's that's the three movies okay, I liked. that's fair. That's fair. I've only seen those four, the three Batman and Inception, and now Interstellar, which I didn't like. Have you seen The Prestige? Huh? No, you keep telling me to watch it, and I keep not being able to watch it for various reasons. because <laughs> I don't want to, but... Um. <laughs> you keep telling me to watch it, and I just keep not... <laughs> That's the best that, answer ever. Earlier when I said you'd never done me wrong by a film suggestion, what I meant is I've never watched any of the films you suggested. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so my record, <laughs> my record is that great because you've never watched any of them. That's awesome. Yeah, they all have the potential to be great films. I just never actually checked it on it. I've never called your bluff until now. Oh. Guess what? You were lying to me. You're such a liar. I actually <laughs> never said this was good. I said that this is a deep movie. <laughs> I said this is a deep movie. <laughs> and it is. Deep. It and deep. it is. It's, it's interesting. So I think we should take a second to actually explain what goes on in the film, because we're halfway into our show, and we've actually not talked about the events of the film. We suck. Anyway, so maybe we should, we should maybe cut this and put it at the beginning. Or not. Who cares? Anyway. In okay. a not-too-distant future, the world is uh, dying. Plants aren't growing anymore. Dust, cl- dust storms are destroying civilizations. Uh, corn is basically the only plant that still grows, and even that's dying. And Matthew McConaughey, he was an engineer and a NASA pilot and is now a farmer because it's the only thing he can do that still kind of provides for his family. But things are going weird. There's some weird gravitational spikes everywhere and they seem to be centered on his daughter's bedroom. And uh, he dismisses it at first just thinking, hey, the world's going to hell. Why not? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Why not have some weird gravity? Yeah. But then it turns out there's messages being sent. And one of them is a binary code that's... uh, location uh, coordinates and so he and his uh, his daughter sneaks in on the truck they go out to that way and they find what remains of nasa there's like one team left and they're working Which is in, in secret in colorado norad yeah there's, they're working in secret and they decide they want cooper to join their team they're trying to save the human planet the human world species humanity all of us they have <laughs> Those people. Those people. The people who are alive in the future. I watched this with my sister, and she pointed out that the grandpa character was probably born in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. 1990s. Yeah, this is a very future, future society. Not not that far. Maybe 50 years from now. They had some crazy technology for 50 years. I mean, technology's expanding so quickly. They have cars that drive themselves now, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Mine doesn't yet, so that sucks, but that's okay. Well, you haven't stolen a Tesla yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not planning on doing that any either way. Uh, if a Tesla goes missing anywhere nearby, this is the proof that it was Luke. This, this okay. Is. Okay. Anyway, um, so Cooper, they, they have two plans to save the world. One is they both sit around this wormhole that's opened up around Saturn. They found a bunch of planets out there. They sent astronauts. Three of them have sent back OKs. Their planet that we landed on is pretty good. You can send people. So they have two plans. They're going to build a giant ship that can take a lot of people out there. Uh, They're still working on that to finish it. The other plan is they're going to take a bunch of embryos that can be incubated and turned into people. And uh, they can just restart a new human colony out there. Yeah. So they want Matthew McConaughey to join the crew of Anne Hathaway's character, Brand. Wes Bentley's character Doyle and Dave Gassy's character Romilly, as well as two robots named Tars and Case, who are my favorite characters in the whole film. Um, <laughs> yes. The robots are cool. I will give them that. The robots are cool, but weird looking. The robots look like Kit Kat bars. Oh my gosh, they do. But their voices are so much fun. I have so much fun with that, with their AI and that. I have so much fun. So these four people and two robots are going to go and they're going to visit the three planets and decide which of the three to actually send people to. Um, but because of traveling through wormholes and black holes and time dilation and all the Einsteinian stuff that I don't understand, it's going to take a long time. So Cooper, Cooper's daughter is 10 years old when he leaves. Yeah. And he tells her that by the time he gets back, she will be an adult and she'll probably be older than him. 
Spoiler alert, she ends up being... I have an age listed here. It's like 97 by the time he gets back. Took him a while. Yeah, and even that involved him having to go back in time from his standpoint. Yeah. Which is really weird. Anyway, um, so they get to the first planet. It is covered in water. It's so close to the black hole that time dilates so that an hour on the planet is like seven plus years on Earth. Yeah. And uh, they find out that the per- the astronaut who landed actually died, but because of the time dilation basically had just landed from her point of view. And they find out why she died because the water, the planet is covered in water and because of the gravitational swells, has these like 400 foot waves that are just constantly going around the planet and crashing into each other. Um, one of their, one of their team members, Doyle, dies. Uh, Cooper and Brand are stuck on the planet for a few hours. It seems like 10 minutes they're stuck on this planet. But then they yeah. get back on their ship and they've been told it's been 23 years, which is like three plus hours. 3.2. Yeah, that's the other thing I'm confused about in this film. There's a few different times when, like, I'm sorry, it's, it's 3.28 hours. Oh, thank you. <laughs> sorry. Thank you, fact checker. I've spent all day doing number calculations at work and I know what one seventh is now. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Anyway, Do you feel better? Uh, now that you know really, that? Not really. Okay. I'm All sorry. Right. I'm okay. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for correcting you. I didn't. You're fine. Keep going. <laughs> There's a few different times in this film where they it, they kind of make comments of like, oh, it's been this long or that long or this has happened. And it's like, has it though? Like, they, it, from what you <laughs> but see. But has it really? From what you see, they were on that water planet for like 20 minutes, not three and a half hours. Yeah. That's, that's one of those things. It's like... They just didn't put enough time into the scripting and the filming. Because it really seems like they land, they get hit by one wave, they sit there for a few minutes until another wave comes, and then they leave. But supposedly it's been three and a half hours. Yeah, I'm not sure where how, how that happened, actually. Yeah. Other than it kind of ups the ante to make the, the person listening go, huh, wow, he's missing a lot of his kid's life. That's such a moral problem. Yeah, and you get to see... Uh, when he gets back on the ship, there's messages from his kids. His son has grown up, had a son. That son, that child died, had another kid, and is, has given up on his dad because his dad hasn't responded in over 20 years. And his daughter is now, sends a message very angry. She's now the same age that her dad was when he left, and uh, she wants him to come home. But he can't come home yet. Yeah, because he's still, well, he could, but he's that's the choice that he's struggling with. Yeah. So they, they leave the water planet. They go to find Dr. Mann. Who is who is the leader of these original twelve astronauts that go to explore these planets, and he's been sending out AOKs for the past ten years, uh, twelve years, I guess now, because it took him two years to get out there. Well, yep. I guess I guess actually like thirty-seven years because it took him twenty-three years to be on the water planet. Yeah, so a really long time. Yeah, um, I will say that was one thing I did like—a very sudden surprise, Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. When he came out of there and like and started talking, I'm like, oh hey, that's Matt Damon. <laughs> that's like they didn't, they never mentioned he's gonna be in the film. He's not in any of the promo. He's not. His name's not at the beginning. He's not on the posters. But he's just suddenly there. I I like the, I like when movies do that. I don't think not enough movies do that. Christopher Nolan actually does that a lot in his movies. I will give him that. That's the only one I can think of where it's a very surprise actor show up. What other ones does he do that in? Uh, he did that in Dark. Night Rises, actually, with um, the the guy that finances Bane's uh, entire operation. I can't remember the actor's name, though. Ben Mendler, the one who was also in the um, 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 Rogue One. Was that who it was? He was a very high-profile actor that you didn't really hear about being in it until you saw it, and you're like, oh, that's him. You're talking about the one that Bane then, like, chokes, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Ben Mendler. Yeah. Yeah, but the, even that he was in the film up to that point. I'm talking about like when, when like a character just suddenly appears in the. It's like in a um, uh, what was that film? Uh, Seven when, uh, Kevin, not Kevin. Yeah, no, not Kevin Costner. Whatever his name is, he suddenly shows up as the bad guy very near the end of the film. I think that's really cool. So you like it when you don't see him at all until the end, or you know later. Yeah, when it's a, when it's a big surprise. Okay, all right, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Okay, okay. 
So he he gets to this guy, to Matt Damon. He gets to Matt Damon. And um, it turns out that this guy's gotten insane. Um, he turned, he just, he was really lonely and he turned on his signal so he would get rescued. His planet yeah. was inhabitable. Yeah, uninhabitable. It just, you can't live on this planet. It's terrible. Kevin and Spacey, that's, that's a guy's name. Sorry, I'm sorry. It's okay. I thought that was a really good, that was a kind of good, and all of the stories that were happening there, I think that was a good development for the movie. Um, it yes, felt that was, that felt like one more the more realistic points in the movie is it like that that would totally probably happen with one out of twelve scientists yeah, that I went out Matt, there. I think Matt Damon's gonna go crazy someday and try to kill Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, totally. That's just gonna happen. That's, that's gonna happen in real life. Yeah, watch out. Um, so I enjoyed that part, uh, and they have an awesome space battle suit fight, which is really just funny um, watching. But it kind of. Man, that was actually probably the most emotionally attached part of the movie for me is when I was watching them fight in their spacesuits. Yeah, because while that's happening, you also see the, the grown-up version of Cooper's daughter, Murphy, has become a scientist, and she's now working for Brand's uh, father, Professor Brand, who's he's the one running NASA. And she's working for him, and she's just found out that he's been lying this whole time for 30-plus years because this will never work. His his plan plan A to build this giant spaceship is never gonna. It's just what, what was that that just drove past your window? That sounded awesome. A giant beehive? No, it was a <laughs> some kind <guy>, of <laughs> <laughs> motorcycle. It's a really big bee from the episode of Doctor Who. Yes. Yeah, uh, but no, uh, Professor Brand, played by Michael Caine, uh, in I gotta say this is Michael Caine's worst film. Because of his role, or just because of the film? not a great character no nope. i mean it's perf- it's michael kane so it's not like he's terrible but i don't think it's done well at all it's one of those that, like, oh yeah e- even michael kane wasn't gonna be able to save this yeah i agree oh 100 but anyway um michael kane's been lying this whole time there is no way for the his plan a to work to build this giant ship that's why he sent the crew out for with the plan b with all the embryos and the daughter feels betrayed, and she's trying to figure it out herself. She's convinced it can still work. And she sends this very emotional message to uh, Bran's daughter, also just called Bran, played by Anne Hathaway. Yep. Um, basically saying, did you know, were you lying to us the whole time? Did my father know? Is that why he left? Because he knew there'd be no, there's nothing left here. And yeah, this whole scene is emotional, because like, you have to struggle with people relying, and it's like, now there's nothing McConaughey can do like he basically can't go back home but he still tries and then uh, Matt Damon tries to steal their ship yeah and that is actually the most emotionally connected part of the movie in my opinion um just that entire little sequence there felt uh that one actually felt pretty well unveiled um yeah so I would give that one a good a good thumbs up that part I'll agree with you there. I think that was done well. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. A little, uh, little oasis in the desert. Some <laughs> they're water. Ironically, they're on a desert planet. Yeah, some some water to the viewers that are in hell. I think it's yeah. great. So then they they're gonna go to the last planet. Romilly has Romilly has died. Unfortunately, very sad. Um, that was very of, sad. I'm confused about what happened there because he's like trying to get archive footage out of out of uh, Dr. Man's old robot and the robot blows up. I think he booby trapped it. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Did Dr. Man booby trap that for whatever reason? Yeah, that's because to not see like to not have him found out maybe. Hmm. I I think he literally went insane. I also kind of wonder was that like a failed suicide attempt? Because he mentions that the last time he went into cryo sleep he didn't set a wake up timer. Yeah. He's like, did he set the robot to just blow randomly to kill him at some point in the future? That's interesting. Maybe because he really like kind of lost his will to live. Yeah, he really. really as soon as they wake him up from crowd sleep, he starts bawling and just curls into Matthew McConaughey, which who hasn't wanted to do that? Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they so. Basically, uh, Matt Damon's character grabs a ship and goes back up and tries to take the habitat ring um, to take command of it. 
so that he can basically save the human race. He's going to go to this other planet and start the human race over there. And he's bad at piloting. Bad at piloting. I like that scene too. That scene was really well done where it just yeah. blows up. Um, yeah. I, I thought that was well done. That part was well done. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. 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 So it blows up and then they, they basically, they almost lose the station and it shows the station spinning around. They dock to it. Um, they being brand now just Brandon Cooper actually, because everyone else has died on this mission. Um, and they're robots. Don't forget they're cool robots. And they're cool robots. And they basically have to find a way to get their space station to the last planet, which would just have to be the one that the human race starts over on. And they want to send a probe into the black hole as they drive past um, to get the information they need to get the uh, uh, Professor Brand spaceship to work. Yeah. Right, so I, Sorry, go on. No, I, I um I didn't have too many quarrels with this part of the movie. Um Yeah. Anyways, keep going. I was just trying to think of something to say and I had nothing, so keep going. Yeah. Um and so uh, when Matt when they're flying past the black hole they let loose one of the robots who's gonna be the probe, and then McConaughey jumps ship on one of the little skate pods, stating that uh Anne Hathaway or the the spaceship needs to lose some weight if it's gonna make all make it all the way to this other planet. Spaceship so needs to hit the gym. <laughs> so uh, he's he's committing suicide essentially, so that Anne Hathaway can make it with the rest of the human race. And this is kind of a it's a redemptive moment because Brand has made several comments, like calling him out for not being able to put aside his family to save the human race. Yeah. So like the yeah the whole line of uh, he states that. When they after they leave the water planet, he states that they can only go to one of the two other planets, and she says, "Your calculations are assuming a return trip to Earth. Right. If we go to one of the planets, doesn't make it. You have to make the tough decision between going to the other planet mm-hmm. or going back home." Yeah, yeah, and that was the moral dilemma. There, that is the part of the movie that makes you think, "Huh, what would I do?" Yeah. What, what would you do? What would I do? Yeah. Man, that is a very difficult question. It's a question that... Okay, so I was actually with my daughter when I was watching this film. We were both, yeah. we were both sick, so we are just cuddling on the couch watching this space film. Yeah. And I remember looking at her when he made this decision to jump in the black hole and thought, could I honestly do that? Could I never see you again to save you, your life and your children's life and your grandchildren's I want to say I would, but I also, like... You can't know unless you're in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah, Yeah, you can't know until you're there. Um, Even though you know the right answer is to do it. Um, But the selfish answer is, I don't know, you know? That's hard. Yeah. We've already talked a lot about uh, what McConaughey, when he gets in the black hole, and then it turns out to Tesseract built by future humans, and he... He turns out to have been the gravitational distortion that was in his daughter's bedroom growing up, and he sends her messages, and he he tries to stop himself from leaving in the first place. This is, I think, very good acting. This scene, he's watching the past, and he's he's bawling, he's yelling himself, don't go, you idiot, don't go. Oh, he's, yeah, this was, performance speaking, he did deliver that really well. Can I read you a quote from uh, Christopher Nolan about Matthew McConaughey? Absolutely. So right about the time this film came out, people were talking about the McConaughey's, like McConaughey's, like he's suddenly becoming a really good actor. And Nolan's, <laughs> Nolan said, he was asked about it, he said, I'm not a believer in the McConaughey's. I think his success recently has just been the rest of us catching up on what he's been doing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's <laughs> really awesome. I totally believe it too, because you watch him his old films, it's like, you know what, he's actually great, it's just... We didn't recognize it because he was like the hot, dumb hunk in every film. You're totally right, though. He's a great actor, and he did a great job in that part of the movie. There, he did. It's it's a heart wrenching scene, and then it gets really crazy when he finds out that he's the ghost and he's uh, that. Uh, like we've talked about that already. I don't want to talk too much more about it, but it's confusing, and I don't like it. I still think it's cliche, and I think it's cheating. Yeah. It is. It's 
it's I really do. I think it's cheating. And and then the movie gets wrapped up in a nice little bow when you see humanity barreling towards um, the other planet in their tube-shaped world. Yeah, that's interesting. There was a sort of sequel to this film made, and I have no idea what it's about. It didn't have Nolan, didn't have any of the original characters. I don't want to watch it, but I do want to know what happens. Wait, sort of, what is it called? Yeah, it I didn't called, know that. Yeah, it was called Inception 2. No. Yeah, I'm hey, Inception 2? You mean Interstellar 2? You're doing it too. Yeah, it was called Inception 2. It was a really weird sequel. <laughs> yeah. After a different film. Oh my gosh. It was called Interstellar 2, and I can't find it on IMDb. I know it exists. Hold on, I'm going to find it. He does have a nice little moment with his daughter at the at the end of the end of the film. She's now like ninety something. Hmm. And, and this is the part I don't totally understand. So at the end of the film, he his daughter tells him, you know, I'm fine, I'm with my family, I forgive you for leaving. And then she tells him to go off to um Go, to not see her die. Well, yeah, not just not to not see her die. Go find Brant and Hathaway's character, and like, like go find her. But Anne Hathaway's character is supposed to be what centuries in the past at this point, or decades or whatever in the past. Yeah. Like, I'm a little confused. Is she suggesting that uh, he should time travel? Yeah. Have they, we've just decided that time travel is possible now in this universe? Uh, I think they did, at least. Interesting. I don't understand how it works. I really don't know how it works, though. It's a confusing ending, to be honest with you. It is a confusing ending, and, um, yeah. I think you you said it right, where they try to wrap it up in a nice little bow. And I hate that. Yeah. For a movie like this, this is not a feel-good movie. In a feel-good movie, I want it to be wrapped in a nice little bow that's all shiny and pretty. But I don't win this kind of a movie because it's this is too advanced. It's too advanced to have it wrapped up in a bow. Yeah, it really should have ended with him, with the Tesseract collapsing in up on him and him, like, give up. And then maybe you get to see that the human race is leaving on a spaceship. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I'd like to correct an earlier thing. There was a film called Interstellar 2, but it's not a sequel to this film. It's actually a sequel to an animated film also called Interstellar. Okay, so there isn't one. No, there isn't a sequel to this film. There should be. I want to know what happens next. I didn't like what happened in this film. I want to give it a second chance. (laughs) I don't think that's a good idea. That's... That's really funny, though. I don't like what happened. I want to give him a chance to make it right. What, what could they possibly do as a sequel to this film? Has any movie ever done that? What, that the first film was bad, so they made a second? It was awesome. The, the, wait, I'm sorry. Was the, sorry. Part, the first film was bad, and they made a second one that was good? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that... He's, I mean, apparently you think of that of the Batman trilogy, so... <laughs> Touché. Um... That's a good. I mean, I didn't like Man of Steel, but I did like Justice League. Can we count that? You like Justice League, huh? I liked it a lot better than Man of Steel. Oh, better, yes. <laughs> You're right. I, so I'm, I'm working on a, a ranking all of the Marvel films for a little special bonus episode of the podcast, and someone suggested yes. I should rank all the Justice League films. And it's like, I, well, I can't give them all last place, though. That's the problem. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be Wonder Woman... And then just all last place. Aquaman is like second to last. And I never saw that one. Aquaman? Yeah. It's fun. It's fun enough. It's not a great film, but it's an enjoyable enough watch. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty decent acting. My problem is like, I think Jason Momoa has been pushed to the top tier of actors. And he's not he, there. But he's no. just been in, he's been in a lot of big stuff. that is Like he was in Game of Thrones. He was great in Game of Thrones. But it's like, he's not... He's not a he's not Leonardo DiCaprio, but he was he's as successful as him now because of Game of Thrones and his Netflix thing and played Aquaman in Justice League, which he was fine in Justice League, but I don't think he's strong enough to carry his own film like that. Did you see the Apple TV show they're coming out about him or about with him? him or okay. Sorry, I don't know if he wrote it, produced it, is in it, 
but it's about a world um, that is completely blind. There's no sight. How it's like a, a movie out of that. It's not a movie. It's a TV show. How are they gonna make a TV show out of that? It's about a civilization with that. I'll send it you some some oh, info. Oh, is this called C? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I see it now. Yeah, oh, ironic. Ha 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 ha. What is this film even about? The human race has lost the sense of sight. Society has found a new way to interact, blind, hunt, and to survive. All that is challenged when a set of twins are with. Oh, so it's like these two kids can't see. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So TV, you said. Uh, the original, like, yeah, it's their new services company, they, their new streaming service. I'll never see it. <laughs> yeah, you'll n- never see it. So we already gave our ratings at the beginning. Luke gave it a borrow it. I gave it a skip it. Uh, this is like the s- second worst rated we've ever given a film. Yeah. Guys, it sucks. <laughs> it, it is very, it's unfinished in my mind. It's undefined. They bit off more than they could chew with the storyline. They they tried to make... Honestly, what it feels like is they, they, made, they made Inception, which was big and awesome and just a lot going on, and it was confusing, but they... And a great movie, really yeah. Well. yeah. Yeah. And then Interstellar was like their follow-up to it, and it just didn't work as well. Do you think... This is an interesting thing. I don't think this is, this is a good movie because all these storytelling elements are very wrong. Um... But do you think that there's an interesting perspective to be taken here that this is just like a piece of art that if you were to watch this movie with a completely different lens, that it's good to somebody? Or do you just think it's a bad movie? Um, that's an interesting question. I think, well, I mean, you think about the odds of probability and stuff like that. Someone's got to enjoy this film. Clearly, oh, yeah. Honestly, because, partially because it's got an 8.6 on IMDb, which is making me question my own film-watching habits. <laughs> I'm sure someone gets this film. And I I kind of think, not to really toot our own horns, I think you and I maybe think a little too deeply about films. We to do. enjoy a film like this. You're totally right. You know, we're just too smart. And it's... Uh, it's you know what? <laughs> That's it. That's completely it. I'd like to find out that was sarcasm. I don't want people to... Anyway... <laughs> That's going to be my answer to anything that anyone disagrees with me. You know what? You're just not as smart as me. So you just may not get it. And that's okay. I, I've tried that and it doesn't work out well. Anyway. Yeah. You, oh, that's where you got that black eye one time. That's right. Uh, yeah, um, um, you should see the other guy. <laughs> He's got uh, bruised fist. Uh, so I think. I think that's, uh, that's the closing. <laughs> that's it, man. That's all I gotta say about this. Yeah, I do. Like to answer your question, really, I do think someone could enjoy this film, but I, I, I don't think the film is ever gonna be enjoyed for the reasons that the Nolans wanted it to be enjoyed. It's never gonna be enjoyed yeah. as a big smart movie. It's gonna be enjoyed as like the I kind of get space stuff, and this this film looks cool kind of movie. Yeah, I don't think that you could legitimately say you enjoy this movie because the story is well done. Yeah. It's a Transformers movie is what it is. Oh, shots fired. Sorry, Nolan. All right. Well, that's we've already done our ratings, so... <laughs> it does feel um, like we at the beginning, doesn't it? Yeah, I kind of feel lost now. This is the where, first time we've ever done it at the beginning of the film, at the beginning of the podcast, haven't we? Where, where are we? I don't understand where life is right now. And, we've got to do... We're just going to do everything in backwards. Everything we'll just post it backwards too. Um, okay, so, yes. Brayden. Yes, Luke. Hey. Hey, how's it going? We have a we have a little thing that we needed to do for our next episode. Yes, we do. Yeah. What are we uh, What are we going to be enjoying next? So I, I was thinking, this is yeah. a big Interstellar is a big, confusing, complicated film with a great cast that just. We haven't mentioned that, by the way. The Interstellar, great cast. Anyway. Oh, to, okay. To that effect. <laughs> sorry. To that effect. You're right. Yeah. Um, this that's is an interest. That's what I do love about Nolan films. They always have really great casts. It's really capable actors. The story just wasn't there. Yeah. But anyway, this is a big, complicated, big movie. 
that just wasn't done well. So I want to watch a big, complicated movie with a great cast that was done very well. Okay. I want to watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And because, yeah. because this movie's about, like, a lot of different Spider-Men all kind of coming together, I also want to kind of take this as an opportunity to talk about Spider-Man movies in general, because I also don't think I will ever really talk about any of the other Spider-Man movies. So we can briefly mention them in the next episode, too. I love it. Like, others isn't like Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, yeah. others. Love it. Also, did you know that they recorded a scene with Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland in, for Into the Spider-Verse? But they cut it because apparently it was confusing. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, that's where that picture on the internet of the three of them hanging out comes from, because they all went to record this scene together. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, that's it, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, if you want to check in with us, we are on Twitter. Uh, I'm at I'm Brandon Green. Luke's at Luke J Flowers. And Woo. our podcast is at PODNXT PODNEXT. Follow you us. Also, you can also email us at uh, next, next Flix Pod. Is it Next Flix Pod or Next Flix Podcast? Let me pull it up real quick. It's Next Flix Podcast. He said unsure of the actual answer. Um, I'm just going to let you kind of relish in this for a little bit and just kind of. Thank you. Public shame, it, public it shame is, you. It's Nextflix Pod. I was wrong. N-X-T-F-L-I-X-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can email us. Tell us what you thought of the film. Tell us why we're wrong about Interstellar and why you actually love it. And it's the best film ever made. And uh, join us next time where we watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. See you guys. Bye. Bye.